We're starting a new series tonight called Family Foundations, and we believe that the family is critical. Family is so important. It's where we live our lives and learn and grow, finding our identities and our primary source of community. That's why when God created the first man, Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And he didn't just give him a buddy, he gave him a family. Gave him a wife and said, get busy making kids, kids. Like, and they were like, it's good to obey the Lord, right? <laughs> the Bible is filled with hundreds of scriptures about marriage and parenting and raising kids, having a healthy household, of how to leave a legacy of blessing. We all want to have a wonderful family life, amen? Yeah. The problem is that most of us start with some cracks in our foundation. I was watching a house flipping show on HGTV. Anybody like HGTV here? Yeah, this show called Flip or Flop. I know you've heard of it. And in that show, right, they'll buy a house and they'll do some quick renovations. They want to sell it for a profit. And so the house flippers are always hoping that there's not too much work that needs to be done, right? So they're planning to renovate, do some upgrades, but they don't want to hear that there's electrical work. And the thing they definitely don't want to hear is that there are foundation problems. Anyone ever had foundation problems in your house? I mean, that is not good news. That's an expensive fix to make, right? But the problem is if you don't fix that, it can be even more costly. A house with a compromised foundation can collapse. Same way that a family, if your foundation is compromised, your family can eventually fall apart and collapse. Before any of us can have a blessed family, you've got to fix your foundation. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. The title of this message is Fix Your Foundation. Let's pray. Lord, we open our hearts to you. Speak to us through your word. God, help me to deliver this message the way that you communicated to me and help us to receive it the way that you intended. We want to grow. We want to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen and amen. Go Cardinals, 2-0. Isn't God good? It's good to be recipients of the favor of the Lord. The symptoms of an unstable foundation are pretty obvious once you know what to look for. You'll have cracks in the sheetrock, warped walls, uneven flooring, maybe a leak in the roof. And you might have some problems in your family today which could actually be symptoms of a damaged foundation that go all the way back to the family you grew up in, you grew up in, right? And so the symptoms, you got to know what to look for. It could be something like this, like maybe people just don't get along. Maybe people constantly fight in your family over household responsibilities, how to raise kids, how to handle money. That's one symptom. Or maybe in your family you have defiant children. They don't listen to anything you say, and you wonder if God is punishing you for the way you treated your parents. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, he is. Maybe your marriage lacks in intimacy, and, and date night feels more like hate night. And you feel like you're getting closer to divorce than happily ever after as time goes by. Maybe you're single and you want a family, but you're afraid to commit to someone because you've never seen a healthy relationship. And you don't want to repeat the same patterns that you saw growing up. Maybe you're about to be a parent or you're a new parent and you're terrified because your parents hurt you. And you don't want to inflict that same type of pain on your kids. It could be that what you're dealing with, you might not have realized this. It could be that that's a foundational problem that needs to be addressed and fixed in order for you to have a healthy family of your own someday. In order 
order to deal with the foundational problems that you probably have in your life, here's what you got to do. You got to understand that past family pain can compromise your family's foundation. A lot of times what you're dealing with is pain from your past. The family you grew up in might have caused you some pain. The people you grew up with might have caused you some pain. And that could be the thing that's compromising your foundation today. Could be that a parent abandoned you and left you to fend for yourself. Or that maybe an ex cheated on you. Or a child just cut off communication with you. Maybe a sibling bullied you. Might be you were abused or taken advantage of. Could be that someone in your immediate family today did something that caused you pain not long ago and you want to move forward, but every time you see that person, it just brings up those feelings of pain again and you don't know how to move forward. If you've got people in your family, you've probably got pain in your past. The Bible is full of stories of regular people like us who were hurt at one point or another by family members. And so I want to talk about the life of Joseph and look at some of the highlights from his story, starting in Genesis 37. It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Sound like any families you know, people don't talk nicely to each other. They can't say a kind word to each other, just constantly bickering. But I think what's funny about this story is Joseph's brothers, right, they didn't just feel like their dad loved Joseph more. The Bible actually says he did. He did love them more. That's kind of messed up. Now, Joseph's the favorite. His brothers are dealing with jealousy and resentment, but then didn't really help matters when God gave Joseph a dream. God gave Joseph a dream that his brothers, who already didn't like him, would one day bow down to him. That didn't go over so well with them. And then God gave him another dream. And in this dream, not only did his older brothers, but his mom and dad bowed down to him. Now they really thought Joseph was full of himself. So time went by, and Joseph's older brothers were out in the fields taking care of the family herd. And Jacob, dad, sent Joseph out to check on his brothers and bring back the news about how things were going. So in verse 18, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So if all you got out of this sermon tonight was just reading this verse, you might leave here feeling better about your family. (laughs) Like, man, I thought we had problems, but we're good. Like, no one's plotting to murder anyone. We're all right. We're doing better than I thought. And you probably are doing better than you think in some ways, some of you. It's funny, this story, right, is saying, man, they, they were actually going to murder their own brother out of jealousy and blame, blame it on wild animals. I mean, that is messed up. And then in verse 26, it says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime." Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. (laughs) Judah for brother of the year, ladies and gentlemen. 
brother of the year, Judah. He is our brother. We probably shouldn't murder him. It'll be really messy and we'll have to cover it up. Let's just sell him into slavery. So in these few verses, you see some examples, I think, of the different ways that family can hurt you. First example you see is that imperfect people unintentionally hurt people. Imperfect people, which is everybody, at one point or another will unintentionally hurt people. I think about Jacob in this story, the dad, Jacob. It says he loved Joseph because Joseph was born to him in his old age. You know, Jacob probably slipped into grandpa mode a little bit and just wanted to spoil Joseph. And he didn't mean to hurt the other kids. He just really loved Joseph. And we're all human. We all unintentionally at times let people down. We forget to do things we said we would do. We, for, we forget important dates like anniversaries. And we, we put our foots in our mouths sometimes. Like it's not, it's not that we want to hurt people, but we're imperfect and it happens unintentionally. Like I don't know a single husband who hasn't hurt his wife's feeling at one point or another. And all the wives were like, Amen. <laughs> Like husbands, like you, you forgot your anniversary? I mean, you didn't mean to hurt her. You bought her a vacuum for Christmas? Bro. No. You didn't mean to, right? But, but sometimes you just accidentally hurt people. Maybe you had a sibling growing up that got more attention than you and it hurt you. Maybe you had a dad who wanted to provide for your family, but he ended up working too hard and you ended up feeling a little bit neglected in the process. Or maybe you had a single mom who was dating and trying to find someone herself, but she brought some guys into the family that that were bad for you, that didn't hurt you. It's not that they wanted to hurt you, but people are imperfect and we we all sometimes mess up and hurt people. The problem with unintentional hurt is it still hurts. Here's a second example you see. You see that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Joseph's brothers, although what they did was terrible, it started out with them just being hurt themselves. So they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Uh, They were mean to him constantly. And, And man, their dad hurt them through favoritism to Joseph. It could be that the people who hurt you in the past were just mishandling their own pain. They didn't necessarily mean to hurt you, but, man, they were maybe mishandling what they went through. They didn't deal with it properly, and, it, man, it kind of brought, let it come out and affect you, and, and, and that can be damaging. Like, so some of you grew up with, you know, maybe alcoholic parents who were abusive, but they also grew up under alcoholic parents who were abusive, and they never learned how to find freedom or healing. Maybe the person who abandoned you was also abandoned and never saw what it looked like to stay in this situation. It doesn't excuse them from hurting you, but it does help us to be compassionate, to realize that some of the people that hurt me were hurt themselves first. And then here's a third example. We see this. Evildoers hurt people. Some of the hurt that you experience is the result of just pure evil. I hear Christians even sometimes, and especially non-Christians, they like to repeat this. They'll say, I believe that people are basically good. Really? Have you seen the world that we live in? What about Joseph's brothers? Were they basically good? Or is it like Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and no one is righteous, no one does good, not even one. 
Sometimes we hurt people accidentally. Sometimes we lash out and we didn't really mean to, but sometimes people just straight up do evil. There are some types of abuse and abandonment and betrayal that is just evil. I mean, these guys, his brothers, they, they were going to murder him, and then they sold him into slavery. That will get you your own 2020 feature right there. I mean, that is, that's bad. Some of you were abandoned like that or hurt like that or betrayed like that, and, and it creates pain and it creates trauma, and you probably wonder, how am I supposed to deal with that? How am I supposed to get past that? I want you to understand this. To fix a damaged foundation, forgive the people who hurt you. This is the only way to fix a damaged foundation. You've got to forgive the people who hurt you. So Joseph, he was falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit in the household where he was serving, where he had been you know, sold as a slave. He was imprisoned. God was faithful to him and favored him even in the prison. And then through a, a miraculous work of God, Joseph was elevated to a position of authority in the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt. Only God. Only God could do that. And God brought him there for a very specific purpose, knowing that not long in the future, a famine would sweep the whole land. And who would come knocking, asking for help in this famine but Joseph's own brothers? Joseph, in this position of power, who had the authority and ability to help, now receives from his brothers a message asking for forgiveness. Watch this. In Genesis 50, it says this. So his brothers, they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the, of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Okay, so let's think about this story for a second here. Joseph's brothers, they didn't even have the cojones to ask for forgiveness themselves. They said, um, your father who loved you uh, asked you before he died, it was his dying wish, to forgive us. I mean, that was pretty smart, right? Because if they had just asked for forgiveness themselves, I don't know if Joseph would have done it. They, they said, your father asked you to forgive us. Now, I want you to take something away from that. There could be people who hurt you who never have the courage or character to ever ask for your forgiveness. If you're waiting on people to ask for forgiveness, you might never find freedom. You might never fix your foundation, but that's all right, because you have a father in heaven who also loves you, who has already asked you to forgive the people who hurt you. Even though it's hard to forgive in your own strength, God wants you to forgive. He asks you to forgive. And even better, he helps you to forgive. He helps you. Forgiving doesn't mean that was done, what was done to you is okay. But God wants you to forgive so that you can be okay. He wants you to move forward. When Joseph heard this, it says he broke down 
and wept. I think that's so powerful, right? You can imagine all the, the tension, the frustration, the resentment, the anger that he had probably allowed to build up over all these years. And he was in a position of power. He could have lashed out at his brothers who were vulnerable, but instead of lashing out like we oftentimes want to do, don't we? Instead of lashing out, he broke down. He broke down and wept, and there was an emotional release. All of the, the anger, the frustration, and the hurt that had built up, it, it broke down, and you see it. He wept. And I want you to know that what God wants to do in your life is through forgiveness, he wants to break down the walls of unforgiveness in your life. Sometimes when people hurt you, what you do is you build up walls. You build up walls to protect yourself from being hurt again. You build up walls to prevent yourself from being vulnerable again. But what happens is those walls that you build up to protect yourself become a prison that keeps you trapped. It's a prison that prevents you from moving forward and experiencing God's best for your life. And so God wants you to forgive so the walls can come down and you can go forward in freedom. And you might think, I don't know if I could ever forgive. I don't know if I can see those walls come down. But you need to know what the Bible says. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. God wants to break down your walls. Forgive. Forgive. Even if you have a great family right now, I hope you do. Eventually, imperfect people in your family are going to hurt you. So you've got to have a household. Your whole family has to be defined by an attitude of forgiveness. You've got to be a family who forgives and decide right now, I'm going to forgive people when they disappoint me. I'm going to forgive people when they don't meet my expectations. God teaches us how to handle those moments. In Colossians 3, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Don't those seem like attributes that would make for a great family? Tender-hearted, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I love how it says, make allowance for each other's faults. Because there's this idea in the world we live in that you should expect to be treated perfectly by everyone all the time. That man, if she's a good wife, if he's a good husband, man, he'll treat you like a princess 24-7. That's a fantasy, ladies. <laughs> right? If you think you're going to raise kids that don't hurt you, try again. I don't know a single person whose parents haven't let them down. And so you got to make allowances for each other's faults. It's almost like when people disappoint you, you knew that was going to happen. Like, man, I believe the best of you. I believe the best, and I expect great things, but you're a person. You're not God. I can't expect you to be perfect. Only God is perfect. I'm not resting in the perfection of my spouse. That expectation would crush her. I get to rest in the perfection of Jesus. Make allowances for each other's faults. Maybe you think, like, I, can, I can't forgive. How, how am I supposed to forgive? I was so hurt. Well, I want you to remember that in one of the three ways that I described how people get hurt, you've hurt people in one of those three ways. 
All of us have. I have. Either unintentionally, either out of your own pain, you lashed out, or let's be honest, some of us at some points in our lives might have intentionally hurt people. Like you knew you were going to hurt them. You knew you were taking advantage of them and you did it anyway. And yet, I don't say that to condemn you, but to remind you that God forgave you. That's what that passage says. It says, in the same way the Lord forgave you, you must forgive others. Well, he forgave us quickly and completely. So we should try. We should try. Be willing to forgive others quickly and completely. When people hurt you, you've got to decide if you're going to live under that cloud of pain. If you're going to let it follow you around your whole lives. Or are you going to get over it? I mean, maybe that sounds harsh to say, get over it. Maybe that sounds uncompassionate to say, get over it. But you got to understand what I mean by that. I'm not trying to be uncompassionate or unsympathetic. I'm not saying get over it as in act like it never happened. I'm saying get over it as in don't let it stop you from being who God has called you to be. Don't let it hold you back any longer. It's either going to stop you or you're going to get over it. You can live under it or you can get over it. And when you get over it, what happens is you allow God to flip the script of your life. Like Joseph who said, you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. God, see, it's easy for us to read the story of Joseph and say, well, yeah, God meant it for good. Look at God. He he saved people through Joseph. Happily ever after, the end. Because we can look back on his story, but we don't necessarily know how our stories are gonna play out. It's not as easy to have confidence that God's gonna take your past and the pain of what you went through and use it for good because you're still in the middle of your story. But what we know from the word of God, his promises say that even when you don't see it, he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's you. So man, you might not understand how the pain of your past can be used for your future, how God can use it for good, but but man, it can happen and I've seen it happen and we'll see it happen again for you. It's the very thing that you went through that almost crushed you that God is gonna use to help you do ministry and help other people and and help other people who are struggling. The things that, that you went through that that just felt so overwhelming. God is gonna, he's gonna use those things in your life and you're gonna be a source of hope to other people who feel overwhelmed. You just don't even know. You don't know how he's gonna use it for good. It's this past, this pain that you went through that can become your purpose. And that's what happens oftentimes. God uses the pain of our past and it becomes our purpose in this life. It's not an accident what you went through. God doesn't waste any pain. He doesn't waste any pain. He's going to use it for good. So I want to say to you tonight in a loving way, get over it and let God use it for good. Now, I want to say this. Some of you might have a legacy of pain. Maybe you have a family history of heartbreak. Maybe you come from a long line of disappointment And maybe you're wondering, right, how can I today be a good father or husband, mother or wife, a good child, a good parent? How can I I possibly hope for that after the family that I came from, after the situation that I grew up in? How am I going to turn it around? That's a good question. In fact, what we see through research is that your family 
it will affect your future. Let me tell you one of the statistics I read about divorce. It says in psychology today, if a woman's parents divorced, her odds of divorce increase 69%. While if both a husband and wife's parents both divorced, the risk of divorce increased by 189%. Shows you that what you come from, it's going to affect your future. Here's another statistic. Those who grow up under drunk parents are four times more likely to develop alcoholism in their own adult lives. Or how about this one about fatherlessness? Children raised without a father are more likely to be incarcerated, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, twice as likely to never graduate high school, four times more likely to live in poverty, at a, at a seven times higher risk of teen pregnancy. So we see that what you grow up in, your family, it will affect your future. And it's nearly impossible to escape the legacy of your family. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. These patterns of behavior pass from one generation to another. Whether good patterns or bad patterns, you're going to pass on your patterns. I don't know what kind of legacy you come from, but we see this spiritual truth in the word of God that your life is going to affect your offspring. In Deuteronomy 5, it says this, The Lord your God, I am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So you're either going to pass on a pattern of sin and destruction or a pattern of love and blessing. Maybe you're one of many in a long line of people who rejected the Lord and lived a destructive life. And maybe you're wondering, how am I going to turn it around? How am I going to to escape the legacy of what I was born into? I want you to know, you can escape. You don't have to settle for the legacy you were born into. If you want a new legacy, get a new family. Someone's like, I can do that? Tell me more. All right, hold on. Just give me a second. See, by default, each of us have been born spiritually into a family line of death and destruction. And it goes all the way back to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. It goes all the way back. That's the family line we were born into spiritually. Yet, Jesus made it possible to escape that family tree and be grafted into a new family tree. You can have a new legacy. In Romans 5, it says this. It says, when Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. Adam's sin, the first man, it brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So when you sin and people say, you're just like your father. You can say like, yeah, like Adam. I'm just like Adam. It spread all the way to me. But look, it contrasts Adam with Jesus. It says there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the results of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. This is the promise that we have. We were born into the line of Adam, and we followed in his footsteps, breaking God's laws, coming up short, and hurting other people in the process. But Jesus, he started a new line, a new legacy. He was perfect. He was obedient to God's laws. And yet he still took our punishment upon himself. He was innocent, but he took our guilt upon himself. He allows us through his sacrifice to be made right with God and forgiven. That means we can break the family pattern set by Adam and we can start a new pattern in the likeness of Jesus. You don't have to repeat the cycle. I want you to know this. I hear pastors sometimes, I've heard speakers say, tonight we're going to break generational curses off of you. And the thing is, that's a good concept in theory, but we don't need to break generational curses off you tonight because they were already broken by Jesus at the cross. Jesus broke the generational curse of sin at the cross once and for all time. He became a curse and was nailed to a tree so that you could be grafted into a new family tree. And the moment you put your faith in Jesus to save you, the curse of sin is broken over your life. And you get to walk forward in freedom. You might not have known you were free, but you are free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Faith in Jesus is what sets you free. It's faith, that means trust, that he is who he said he is. That he died on the cross for our sins. That he rose again, which gives us eternal life and victory over sin and death. And that now we are adopted into his family as his children. Faith that saves also results in life change. So now that we have faith in Jesus, not, not meaning that we're gonna be perfect, but it does mean will never be the same and will live our lives forgiven. Forgiven. Faith is what changes you. It changes your identity. Think about throughout scripture and the stories we read, right? Faith, it changed Moses from a murderer to a miracle worker. Faith changed Rahab the prostitute, prostitute of Jericho into an ancestor of Jesus. Faith changed Paul from a church hater to a church father. Faith changed their identities and intrinsically who they were. And faith can change you completely. You can have a new identity through faith in Jesus. Faith, it changes your family tree. Second Corinthians says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Who's grateful for their new life? In Who's grateful that Jesus changed their identity, that Jesus changed their family tree? You don't have to ever be the same. You're who God says you are. You have, you're who God says you are. You have no reason to fear the curse of sin because the curse of sin is already broken. I want to close with this. In Galatians 4, it says this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And I love this part. Because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. 
And here's what's really good, right? Since you are his child, God has made you his heir. When scripture calls you a co-heir with Christ, it's talking about this. Your new family comes with a new inheritance. I don't know what you inherited from your family. Some of you nothing other than problems. But your new family comes with a new inheritance. Before, man, you might have inherited a lot of bad family behavioral patterns. You might have inherited a lot of pain, a lot of problems, a lot of bad habits. But now that you're a part of God's family, you can trade in your old inheritance for a new, better inheritance. And that's what some of you need to do. Some of you inherited some things that you don't have to carry forward any longer. You might have inherited a, a whole lot of abandonment, but you can trade that in for a new inheritance of unfailing love. You might have inherited abuse, but you can trade that in for a new inheritance of tender mercy. You might have inherited an inheritance of poverty, but you can trade that in for an inheritance of blessing. You might have inherited abandonment, but you can trade that for unfailing love. You might have inherited a deception, but you can trade that for God's wisdom. You might have inherited fatherlessness, but you can trade that for the Father's loving kindness. You might have inherited despair, but you can trade it for hope. You can trade sinfulness for righteousness. You can trade slavery for royalty. You can trade death for eternal life. Because of Jesus, because you're adopted into God's family, you've got a new inheritance. You're a co-heir with Christ. I'm so grateful for what God's done in our lives. And I want to do this right now. Maybe there's someone, a friend invited you to church tonight, and you thought that's why you came, but it could be that God actually intended for you to be here tonight. God actually intended for you to join us online, because this is your opportunity to put your faith in Jesus, to be set free, to be forgiven from your own sins, to be adopted into God's family, and to receive a new inheritance. Maybe that's why you're here tonight. And if that's you, I want to take a moment just to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. And if you say, man, I want to be saved. I want these things. Pray this with me. Just say, God, I need you. Wherever you're at, if you mean it, he'll hear. Just say, God, I need you. I know that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again so I could have eternal life. I want to walk in victory from this day forward. I thank you for making me a part of your family. I thank you for loving me. Even though I didn't deserve it or earn it, I receive the gift of grace which you offer me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Hey, let's stand to our feet at this time. We're gonna take one moment to respond to this message in another way. There are many of us here who would say, yes, I have been hurt by people in my past. I've been hurt by family members and that past pain has compromised my ability to have a healthy family in the future. I've been hurt and I need to forgive. If you're here tonight, I want you to know that the willingness to forgive is the first step towards forgiveness. You might not feel forgiveness, but it starts with a decision to forgive. And that cracks the door open and it allows God to come into your heart and do what only he can do. God does not expect you to forgive other people in your own strength. He only asks you to be willing and then he enables you to forgive. He's the one who gives you the power to forgive. Forgiveness takes God's power. 
So if you need that tonight, you say, I need God's help to forgive. I want you just to raise a hand up. Just between you and God, hands up all over the room. That's all right. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Right? I need God's help to forgive. I've been hurt and I want to forgive, but I need his help. We're going to pray for you tonight. God, you know these hands. God, you know the hearts behind them. You know what was done. God, some of the things that were done are unexcusable and terrible. But yet you asked us to forgive the way that you have forgiven us. And so we need your help, Lord. We need your help tonight to be forgiving people. We want to forgive other people. Lord, we're willing to forgive other people, but sometimes we can't do it in our own strength. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to come in and supernaturally set us free. Break the walls down, God. Break the chains of unforgiveness in our hearts. We want to go forward in freedom and in joy, Lord. We thank you that we're no longer trapped in the prison of unforgiveness, but you've opened the jail cell and let us out. We thank you, God. We give you praise for freedom tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.